Let's pray together. Father, as we have sung that prayer, as we have challenged our hearts, help us. And I pray that we would turn our eyes to our Savior this day. As we look back over the year that we've had, the ups and the downs, the challenges, the victories, we can often get lost in what it's about. It's about your glory. It's about Jesus. It's about the kingdom that lasts forever. It's not about the daily ups and downs, the earthly wins or losses. It's about the kingdom of God. And for us as your people, Father, here on this last day of the year, this is a moment for us to be challenged by what we have sung. I pray that this year you have taught us what we sang this morning, that we are not people who figure out our own identity, that we don't define ourselves, but we look to you to tell us who we are. We are who you say that we are, that you are good, that you will never do what isn't good, that you will always be faithful, that you are a God of power and might, that what you promise to do, you do. And we can build our lives on it. We can believe that even when we don't know what you're doing, you're still working. That we have learned that all that we need is Jesus. He is enough for us. Father, these things, you are always at work to try to teach us. And as we look back at last year and forward to the new year to come, this is the currency of what life is about. This is where life and hope and peace is. And I pray that you would work in us. That more than just saying these words or feeling them or having an emotional experience, that we would take these truths down deep into our soul and we would see your hand shaping and molding us as your children day in and day out. That when we get to this point at the end of this coming year, we'll be able to look back and see what you have taught us about who you are, who we are, how to trust you, how to follow you, how to walk by faith, how to serve your kingdom, how to keep our eyes up instead of on the things that are around us, how to know you more, how to know your presence, how to follow you, how to give our lives to you, how to serve you more powerfully. Father, that we would have learned these things in the coming year for your honor and for your glory. And so, Father, this morning, as we turn our hearts and tune in to you, I pray that in this moment where our hearts are as open as we can make them, that you would speak powerfully by your spirit through your word, teach us, challenge us, change us, convict us where we need it. I pray that we would find hope in the name of Jesus and in him alone. And so, Father, we give you the service this morning. We turn our hearts to you, for it's in the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat this morning. It is so good to be together in the house of the Lord, isn't it? I was thinking about this as we were as we were kind of singing and, and thinking about this being New Year's Eve day. Uh, this year and, and every year that, that New Year's Eve winds up being a Sunday, it means we started the year on New Year's Day in the house of the Lord because New Year's Day was a Sunday and we finished the year on New Year's Eve. Isn't that pretty cool? Like, this is a blessed year. I know that there's been struggles and there's been heartache and, 
and all kinds of things. But it's a blessed year when we get to start it together as a church, as a family in the house of the Lord, and we end it the same way, uh, turning our hearts to him. So I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, for all, I guess we're calling this, this the group of survivors. You guys are either recovering from illness or you haven't got it yet, but you know that stuff's going around. So uh, thank you for being here, for being a part of our service. You are a blessing to us, and I'm grateful that we get to do this uh, week in and week out, even on special days and all that stuff. If you're visiting with us, if you're new or newer, you've never checked in at our guest center, just out these doors, let us know who you are. We've got a gift for you. We want to do what we can to pray for you, serve you, do that today before you go. Uh, we would think that that is a tremendous privilege and honor. Uh, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing here, but we want God's work in your life more than we want to like make sure that you come to our church or something like that. We want you to know Jesus. And wherever Jesus takes you, that's where we want you to be. Uh, so we're glad to be a part of that today. There's no mistake that you're here today. I believe God is at work in every single one of our lives. And God has a word for us in fellowship, in worship, and in the word. And we get a privilege of having Pastor Ryan share with us this morning. So I'm going to invite him to come on up and share with us God's word. I just want to say, um, I think that... If we just sang those songs again, you'd pretty much get the gist of the message. I, I think that uh, clearly they listen, they, they look at the message description and they might have done a better job with it than I am. Because <laughs> um, singing those songs, I really just, the message of God being the point, that is, that's what I'm coming with, with today. And th that is what those songs were about. And singing those words and I, the, the emotions, thinking back on the year, I know that a lot of the people in this room were thinking about the things that they struggled with throughout this year and considering how good God was even during those times is probably one of the most useful practices that you can do as a Christian to strengthen your relationship with God by clinging to him even when it is so hard and you want to run in the opposite direction. But first we're going to talk about Christmas music. So, <laughs> show of hands, how many of you wait until December 1st to start listening to Christmas music? I want to see. Who waits until December 1st? We've got like maybe 10. So, okay, who, who's a Thanksgiving weekend person? That's a lot. That's a popular one. I think that's like every you feel like I'm listening to it early, but I'm not crazy. <laughs> so I'll wait until Thanksgiving. How about November 1st? Soon as Halloween's over, regardless of whether or not you celebrate Halloween, we're not talking about that today, but you pack up whatever you did or did not have decorating your lawn, and then you start playing the Christmas music. Who's a, who's a, who's a November 1st? or midnight of Halloween Christmas music listener. For me and Becky, it varies from year to year. Sometimes we're, uh... oh, by the way, anyone earlier than that? We got three. All year. Yeah, all year long. That's good. Me and Becky are, we vary. Sometimes we're November 1st people. Sometimes we forget that November even happened. It just goes. That was this year. We, we started on Thanksgiving weekend this year, but other times we've started early. But I think it's interesting because every time that we do Christmas music, and, and in, I, you know, I shouldn't say I started November 1st because I started practicing the Christmas program in Go Zone on October 
15th or something. Uh, and every year when you do that, and even before I got to this church, it's a universal thing. Whenever you start doing Christmas music, it really doesn't matter when you start. Some kid is going to say, already? And I think that it's a little bit crazy to listen to Frosty the Snowman if it's 97 degrees outside in August. And I think that Rudolph and Mariah Carey can wait until the decorations are up in Target. But I do think there's something to be said for singing Away in a Manger, Silent Night, O Holy Night, all year round, right? I mean, remember, there's not a time, is there a time that's bad to remember Jesus being born? No, Rudolph, who cares about Rudolph in August? But Jesus, right, we're Christians, Jesus, we, sing, we could sing those songs all year round. I think there would be a benefit to that because the holidays give us this special, powerful opportunity to reflect as Christians, to reflect on what we're grateful for, to reflect on the things that God has given us, to reflect on our Savior coming to the world, on why he came to the world, on how he's going to leave it when he's going to come back, all those things we can reflect on. And we reflect about this all throughout the holiday season, right? Even at Thanksgiving, we're, so, we're thinking about what are we thankful for? We do our praise service, which is an awesome thing. People standing up and just thanking God about the amazing work that he has done in their lives. The holidays are a really amazing time for this, especially if you're a believer. It's amazing to see how much it's so powerful of a time, Christ's birth is so powerful that it causes reflection in the hearts of those who don't believe. I mean, you look around and there are people reflecting on love and gratitude who don't know who to thank for. They just feel it because there's something about that Christmas energy, that Christmas spirit, that Christ, the power of that moment on that silent night. Now, I think that as we head into the new year, as Pastor Mark said, and as we sung quite a bit this morning, we need to be equipped and ready to figure out how we're gonna do just a little bit, a little bit better, how we're gonna improve, how we're gonna take baby steps forward in our relationship with God in 2024 to be thankful and to carry that appreciation for God and that love for Jesus that we feel so connected to during the holiday season all throughout the year when times are tough. Because the holidays don't really get rid of the pain of tough times, right? I mean, how many of us have probably had a really sad holiday season? We're feeling that loss, that pain, that damage from whatever attacks you were enduring. And those things, sometimes, if we let them, they snatch away the goodness of God that can light up your life. But only if you let them. We don't have to, as Christians, let those things snatch away our good, that goodness. We don't need to do that because it's there. It is always there. It is always accessible. So I want to talk about this morning with you guys when God feels close and the cup, fears, and the cup feels full. And then when God feels far and the cup feels empty. I want to start with when the cup feels full. Fears. Feels full.
full. All right, I want to look at Psalm 23. It's a really good psalm. All right, it's, it's a popular one and for good reason. Psalm 23, 1 through 6, we're looking at, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I think that this is kind of the ideal. When we feel closest to God, this is how we feel. And I want you to remember those times. Think about those times right now when you have felt like God is restoring your soul. Where God is guiding you through life. And you are excited to follow him down a path of righteousness because he is God. For his name's sake. You're doing it for him. You're in it for all the right reasons. Do you allow the Lord to shepherd you in such a way that you no longer have wants? Or do you drag your wants behind you as you follow him? Do you allow your relationship with God to restore your soul? Or do you follow him and cling to the things that hurt you? They come back up. You bring them back up. You say, God, take this from me. I lay it at your feet. And then you come back for them later. Do you follow God down paths of righteousness for his name's sake? Or are you hoping he'll help you with something, with some project you have in mind? Are you hoping for some outcome in this earthly life? Do you want something from God or are you doing it for him? That's what we're looking at this morning. The psalm continues, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. Feel, I said feel that time. I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does God's presence in your life chase away all your fears of evil? When you're in the darkest valley, when you're in those tough times, do you feel like you can turn to God and those, that darkness will flee before him? Because you can and you should. I'm not saying it's easy. I won't say that from the beginning. I am not perfect. This is not how, I'm not just like, oh, oh, whenever I feel sad, I just go to God. And it just goes away, right? I'm not here to say that. But that is something that God offers us. Does your cup overflow? I want you to think about all the reasons you have to be happy in this life right now. I want you to think about the people you love, the things you have fun doing, the music that makes you dance, the food that you enjoy, especially the holiday time. It's a big part. Think about all these things that God has given you. Think about all the reasons that you have, all the blessings that he's given you that you get just because he loves you. As we go through the holidays and we meditate on all those good things that God has given us, we're thanking God, 
We're excited to celebrate Jesus' birthday. We have loved ones surrounding us. Maybe we have gifts. But we need to remember the one who fills our cup because it's not the stuff that God gives us that we should be praising God for. It is the God who gives. It is the God who loves. Our cup is full even if those blessings are absent because he is in that cup, filling us with his spirit. And our cup can overflow even if we did spend the holidays and our loved ones weren't there or maybe there were a few empty chairs. Even if we didn't get any gifts or you didn't get the ones you wanted. Our God who gives us life is worth more honor and praise than we could give to him in a thousand lifetimes. Is God that meaningful to you? That him by himself, absence of those earthly blessings, is enough. Let me ask a question to everyone in this room right now. In your experience, has placing your faith in God led to a steady stream of unending blessings and happiness and peace? Totally uninterrupted, never disappointed, always at the top, 10 out of 10, on fire for God. That's not something that happens very often. We get it in bits and pieces. We get it in waves. But the, God, the life that God promises us is not one that is the perfect life that we picture. God's plan for us is completely different most of the time from what we want for ourselves. Do we trust him to know what's best? If anyone has ever told you the life as a faithful Christian would be easy, they're reading a different Bible than me, right? They're reading a totally different Bible. And we're going to look at a story in the Bible, a book of the Bible, that I think lays this out plain as day, as clear as possible. And it's one you should be familiar with. And it's a story of a man named Job. Let's take a look at how Job is described in the beginning of the book. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. Kind of reminds me of the holidays, honestly. He's spending all this time with his family. They're eating, they're drinking, they're feasting, they're having a good time. He's rich, like crazy rich. He has more, th- he's the greatest man in the East. All those camels, I know that we don't really think of wealth in terms of camels and sheep, but he's got all those sheep, all those camels, that makes him the top dog, all right? He's the number one guy. He's got everything that he could ever want. He's got a loving family. 
He's got so much and he's so focused on God, even with all of that, that what he takes time to do every day is to offer things to God on behalf of his children. He goes to God every day in prayer and says, God, please, I'm gonna intercede on my children's behalf. I'm gonna offer these things to you for their sins because he knows how important God is. So even in the life of his children, he's not asking for his children to get blessed with things. He's asking for God to look favorably upon them. So this is a guy that was blameless and upright. He did what was right. He followed God faithfully. And so nothing bad ever happened to him. No, that's not how it goes. That is not how it goes. Now what happens next is weird. I'm just going to put that right out. It's, it's weird. It's strange. We don't know why it happens or how often this kind of thing happens. But what we do know is the Bible tells us that what happens next is that Satan comes before God and Satan is looking for trouble as Satan does. And God says, have you considered Job? He's a pretty cool guy. He's blameless. God calls him blameless and upright. Wow. Right? I hope God says that about me someday. I hope, like, how many of us God's going to say, oh, yeah, that guy, that girl, blameless and upright. There's not that many, I think. Job is a rare class of favored by God. And Satan says, well, of course. So we look at Job chapter one, verses nine through 11. Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Do you see or feel the truth of Satan's challenge to God? Whether or not it's true for Job, imagine if he was talking about you, if he was talking about me. He's saying, hey, Job loves you because you gave him all that stuff. If you take away his wealth, if you take away his profiting from his hands, that he does work. And when he does work, things happen that he wants to happen. If you take that away, if you take away the blessings of his children that you've given him, if you take away his happy family and all this partying and dancing and feasting that they're doing together, if you took away all those things, wouldn't Job turn his back on you? I'm glad that he didn't ask that about me because that is a hard one. Think about if they were asking you, think about that question for you. If you're a parent, or even, I mean, if you're either a child or a parent, so I can get everybody in the room as a child or a parent. Imagine if your family was going through tough times. For some of us, we don't have to imagine that, but imagine it. Imagine that you lost your job. You didn't have enough money. You couldn't put food on the table. Maybe you couldn't get clothes. Maybe you couldn't get gifts for Christmas, the right ones, the best ones. In that situation, do you want your kid to be like, well, obviously I don't love you anymore. 
in that situation as the child, if your parent doesn't give you everything you want and doesn't give you, the, it doesn't give you your favorite food and they're giving you cans of food instead and they don't give you your favorite clothes but they're giving you hand-me-downs with holes, do you think that the correct response as a child is to go, well, you know what? I don't think I love you anymore. No. <laughs> it's plain. It's obvious to everyone in this room. We're thinking, no, of course not. Just because I'm not getting provided for the way that I expected or that I want or that I think is the standard doesn't mean that I would no longer love my family. And that's what Satan is saying to God here, though. He's saying, I bet you that's not true. <laughs> Even though all of us are kind of thinking, yeah, of course we would still love them. Satan's saying, I bet you that's not true. I bet you if you actually took it away, that he would curse you to your face. Not even just like he would get mad at you and he would harbor resentment and he would turn his back on you in his heart, but that he would curse you to, his, to your face. So God takes him up on that challenge. God takes him up on that challenge. It says <clears throat> that in one day, Job lost all of his wealth, everything that he had, all of the sheep and the camels that made him have high status, that made him the biggest, the most important great guy in the East, in the land of Uz, all of his wealth, and including his house. In fact, his house falls down on his kids and he loses his kids as well. It'd be like if somebody came in here right now and told me, hey, Pastor Ryan, I just saw your house burned down, everything in it is gone. And then before I could even respond to that, before I could even think, what does that mean for the future of my family? Somebody else came in and said, hey, and your child's gone too. Satan's taking the safe bet here, right? <laughs> Satan's saying, if that happens, Whoever that happens to, they're going to curse God to his face. And it feels like that's a pretty safe bet. How does Job respond? We see Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. Wow. God is blameless and upright for nothing, I guess. Job saw everything that he loved fall apart. And he responded how? Did he turn away from God? No, he turned towards God. He started praying. He took off even more of his material possessions. He ripped off his clothes, he shaved his head, and he bowed before God because he knew that in those dark times, it becomes even more important to be close to our creator. It becomes even more important to deepen those ties so that you have that relationship with God to lean on and to draw from. Do you think that decision was easy for Job? It happens fast, but I can't imagine that it was an easy choice, that it was an easy way to react. In fact, Satan was certain that no human could react this way. So he continued and he said, yeah, sure. 
You took all the stuff away, you took his kids away, but anybody would give that stuff up to save their own skin. Let me hurt him. Then he'll curse you to his face, to your face. So then Job becomes sick. Job gets his boils. He's got painful boils all over his skin, so painful that he breaks the pot and he takes a shard of the broken pot and he's scraping it off because that feels better than to have the boils on. And then his wife comes, so supportive. She says, curse God and die. So his wife abandons him. Satan would have been right about her. He picked the wrong one. And then his friends come. And his friends, they, they kind of know about God and they, they studied with Job and they, they're, kind of, they're, they're kind of cut from the same cloth a little bit. But then his friends come and say, you know what? God wouldn't do this if you were being good. You know, God, very, you know, he's got a nice list and a naughty list. And he delivers the presents to the nice kids and he delivers cult, like dead children and destroyed houses to the bad kids. No. <laughs> they come and they say, you must have done something wrong. What did you do? Confess. So his wife abandons him, his friends abandon him. And in all this, Job still did not curse God. But I'll tell you what Job did do. Job got angry. Job got angry and he called out to God and he said, why is this happening to me? God, talk to me. This doesn't make any sense. Talk to me, God, please. Explain yourself. Stand before me, face me. Job is 42 chapters long, so I'm abbreviating a little bit. And you know what? That was not counted as sin. You're allowed to get upset. When bad things happen to you, you're allowed to be sad. God knows that it's tragic what has happened to Job. But there's two possibilities in how we can react. What Satan wanted was for Job to turn away from God, to curse God, to abandon God, and to go off into true hopelessness by himself. But what Job knew was that his wealth and his family and his friends and his wife, while they were important and he loved them, while they were cherished and precious to him, while he thanked God every day for every moment that he had, that he didn't get any of that without God. And so he couldn't turn away from God just because they're gone. He knew that the point was not them, that they were blessings in his life because of his relationship with God and that his relationship with God was the point. You see, the thing about God is that he is the most important thing because, not because he thinks he's important and he's like some prideful human. No, because God is the source of everything. If God were to pull away from creation, even being aware of how everything was being destroyed would be like a final mercy from God that he let us know. That things didn't just blink away. 
God sustains reality. He sustains life. He sustains us. And so every second that Job had with his kids, every moment he had being wealthy, all of those things don't exist at all without God. And so he knew that the real value is the source and not those blessings. He knew that when his cup felt empty, it never actually was. That his cup always would overflow with God's presence because God is eternal, eternally powerful, eternally good, and eternally loving. And so even though he was mad about it and he wanted answers, he knew there was no point and turning away from God because that only can lead to destruction and death and emptiness. So when he felt like there was no practical benefit, no earthly benefit to his relationship with God, he realized he needed to talk that through with someone and that someone was gonna be God. Because he realized, much like imagine if you were in any relationship you have, with your wife, your husband, your, ch- your children, your parents, if you're mad at them and you're arguing with them over things and there's tension, is it better for you to just abandon them, never talk to them again? As a parent, do you want your kids to abandon you and never talk to you again? Or would you rather them come to you in that anger and have that conversation? Healthy communication is a part of our relationship with God. We've got to have it. So Job 40, chapter, I mean, Job chapter 40, verses one through five. After Job gets angry, he shakes his fist at the sky and he says, God, you better talk to me right now. God shows up and says, shall fault finder contend with the almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And Job, in the presence of God, immediately kind of goes back to being that blameless guy that loves God so much. He, he says, Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. So as soon as he sees God, he realizes, wow, God is actually answering me. I'm gonna be quiet and listen, which is amazing. You see the, the way that Job makes the right choice at every aspect here, even when he's upset and he has lots of reasons to be upset, he respects God and understands who God is. Can you say the same about yourself? Can we say the same about our relationship with God? Is our relationship with God that strong? Where if I had that kind of baggage to say, hey God, look at all this stuff that you'll happen to me, that God would show up and I would say, all right, I'm going to listen to you. You tell me why. I'm going to be quiet. I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to, like, I'm, you're the king of the universe. Here we go. Lay it out to me, God. That respect, that amazing honor that he's able to give God even in that circumstance. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. Job's response was good because he still wanted that relationship no matter what. He was willing like we sung, he was willing to have nothing if it meant having God. Because he recognized that having God is everything. Having God is everything. Is that how 
your relationship with God is or is your love for God conditional? Is your love for God dependent on something that God has given you? And that second part is really important because whatever it's dependent on in your heart, that thing you only have because of God in the first place. So if there's anything that it's dependent on, just remember that that is God's and that came from God. And so we have to shift our priorities. As we go into 2024 and we face all of the challenges that's gonna bring, we have to have those priorities. I talked to my sister last night. I'll close with this. And she knows I'm gonna say this, so don't worry, I'm not gossiping about my sister, okay? I talked to my sister last night. Um, she recent, she's gotten in two car accidents very close together very recently and right after she moved out of my parents' house and went to start her life as an independent person. Um, the first one was like that week. And then the second one was like a, a month after she got the new car. <laughs> so she's, as you can imagine, not in a great place feeling that, okay? But then she said to me, I've been praying the whole drive to work and the whole drive back now because it helps me stay focused and I feel like um, I'm, I have God there with me. And I said, oh, so it was good that you got in those accidents then. <laughs> because anything that happens to you that pushes you closer to God is a good thing. Because getting closer to God is the point of everything. Getting closer to God is always the best option. Job ends after 42 chapters, Job 42.10. It's the last verse, 42 chapters long. It's a long book. I recommend it. And it ends with, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And that's it. That verse is all we get. That's all the book says about Job's life from there and what happens and what twice as much means. Twice as many camels, twice as many kids, probably not two wives. And you might be thinking, well, new kids, how does that replace old kids? That's kind of a valid question, right? But this verse is all we get and it's because Job's fortunes are not the point. <laughs> Our blessings are not the point. Whether we have a lot or a little is not the point. Whether we are healthy or sick, and I know that some of us have dealt with real intense sickness, whether we have our loved ones or we don't because they're gone, that is not the point. God cares about those things. He loves us during those times. We can go to him for comfort, but the point of everything, the point the thing that we should fill our cup with, the best thing we can do is to have a strong relationship with the person who created everything. That connection between you and the creator, between you and the one who gives you life, that is the most important thing. And if you have spent a few years on this earth 
especially as a Christian, you've seen the ways that God turns those bad times into good. And so we might say, oh, Job got twice as many kids. How does that replace his old ones? And it doesn't, but Job got more people to love. And if you've ever had a loss and then gone, and because you had a different life than the one you had before, met new people to care about, then you know what that's like. So just remember that relationship. Remember that the king of everything for his own sake is worth chasing. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this year. We take the good with the bad and we praise you, God, and we pray deep down, Lord, that you will change whatever you need to change in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds to help us see your work, to see the point, the purpose, the goal, clear as day, and to follow you fully, to chase after you without clinging on to our hurt and our pain, to lay them at your feet and to really dive into this relationship, God. And Lord, I'm going to say another prayer to you. Please, if there's anything on my plate that I care more about than you, do what you need to do to get that right in my heart and my mind. I pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.